Any question? Other questions before we start or anything? No, no. I um, just, let's let's just, let's uh, get let's going. Just get going. Yeah. Let's get going. All right. Welcome to the Community Theater Studio Podcast. This podcast exposes the past, futures, dreams, and experiences of people in the community theater. I am your host, Gary Kochi. So let me introduce you to Joe Zakowski, correct? Yes. Oh, good. All right. Well, welcome to Community Theater Studio. So I have a number of questions to learn about you and uh, your experiences with community theater. So let's see what we can go through, all right? Sure. Okay. Now, of course, usually, first thing I always wonder about is... You know, how did you actually get started in theater? Well, as an adult, uh, it happened about roughly 25 years ago. While living in Washington Township, I had answered an ad sometime around the end of the summer. Washington Township Spotlighters Choral Group was advertising for singers for their fall season. And at the time, they were doing songs from Broadway and Sinatra-type songs. Uh, So being a Sinatra fan and always wanting an opportunity to sing as an adult, I answered the ad and I attended the first rehearsal. I met Ken Van Dyke while there, and I believe he was a president of Spotlighters at the time. So... During the course of attending the rehearsals for their choral season, they let me know that they also put on a spring musical, and I was invited to audition for their musical. So I auditioned, I got a part, and that got me started in theater as an adult. Now, as a child, I only did a few things in grade school. They were very minor. Didn't do anything in high school. And as I said, not until I was an adult, probably about 49, 50 years old. Okay. So I was a, I was sort of a late bloomer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds like it. Do you remember the show that you were in? That, that, that? As a matter of fact, I did. It was directed by Ed Fisella. It was called Spotlighters on Broadway. And what we did was excerpts from all of the major shows, whether it was Chorus Line, Les Mis, Phantom of the Opera, Oklahoma. If you could think of a major musical, we did snippets of it. So it was very challenging. Looking back at it now, it was very challenging. It involved an awful lot of work, costuming, (laughs) choreography, music we had to learn, set construction. It it was such an undertaking which required Ed to draw from a lot of resources to to pull this thing off. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that I met during that production, I'm still friends with today. Uh, One of them in particular is Dwayne Trowbridge. During the rehearsals and the actual, uh, I learned set construction as well. That was my first foray into set construction. I got to work with some very talented set builders at the time. I got to know a lot of very talented people, costumers, Mm -hmm. 
choreographers. So I kind of jumped into the deep end in that <laughs> show. And I was so impressed, excited. Uh, it was something I, that I had never experienced before, and I wanted more. So um, during the whole experience, I met actors that were part of other theater groups. For example, the Road Company mm-hmm. in the Williamstown. And so when I was finished with the production, the Spotlighters, I was invited to audition for my second show at the Grand, which was Oliver. Oh, okay. So that it was how I got involved with the Road Company as well. So you worked for a number of companies then throughout the 25 years, I take it. Mainly those two, Spotlighters and the Road Company, but I've I've performed with Haddonfield Plays and Players. I did The Crucible with them a mm. long, long time ago. The Sketch Club Players in Woodbury, mm-hmm. I guess I did a, maybe about three or four productions with them. The, the Shore Repertory Theater, they're actually from North Jersey. I had an opportunity to, to reprise my role of Sparky and Forever Plaid with them. I was filling in for someone who couldn't make their production up in, I believe it's Mercer County College has a theater up there in, I believe it's West Windsor, and that's where they were performing, and they needed someone to fill in. So I, word got back to me that they were looking for my character, so I filled in with them. Then they invited me to join in their production of Man of La Mancha, uh, and so I had the opportunity to experience that production. And then I got involved with Second and Vine Players out of the Eagle Theater in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I did about four or five productions with them uh, before they uh, became what they are today. And then finally, Village Playbox. I guess my last four or five productions have been with the Village Playbox. Okay. Well, not bad. Well, we had talked about, of course, I know you do acting, singing. Um, what other things, and you actually, I think you mentioned set construction. Yes. I had the opportunity to work with, who came to be known as one of the best set constructors in the community theater. His name was Bill Geringer. There were a few other gentlemen, and their names escape me <laughs> at this point, but Bill's name sticks in my mind. Bill, I was introduced to Bill through, through Ken Van Dyke. And since I had uh, some aptitude with working with tools and things like that, as was explained to me by (laughs) Ken, you don't just show up for rehearsals, learn your part, and perform. He explained exactly what community theater entails. And one of the the main things with community theater is sets got to be built. It's got to be painted. Um, you have to find set pieces, things like that. Whatever you don't acquire, you have to build. So one day I showed up on a Saturday with all of my tools. And at the time, they rented from the township what looks like a Quonset hut. It's a semicircular metal structure with sliding doors in front. And at the time... This massive structure contained all of their raw materials, their plywood, their walls that they reuse, this huge workbench, an area 
that held all their props. Electrical outlets all over the place. So it was well suited for building sets. And, you know, my first task was to build a platform. One of the things I had to get used to awfully quick was the difference between building walls for a house and building walls for a set. <laughs> you learn that awfully fast. Oh, yeah. Where I was used to using two by fours and half inch and three quarter inch plywood. No, that's not what you do. If you're building a wall, it has to be light, it has to be portable. You don't use nails, you mm-hmm. use drywall screws or, or some type Something. of screw that can be removed because most cases you have to tear down the set, you have to reduce everything to, back to the basic raw materials, except if you're going to be able to reuse the wall, reuse the platform, mm-hmm. in which case you build it as sturdy as you can. Yep. So Bill and those other two gentlemen taught me a lot. They gave me a pretty good foundation. From there, I also had the opportunity and the privilege to work with another set builder, Tom Weaver. Tom took it to the next level. Tom was not only an excellent set builder, but a set dresser. He knew exactly how to dress a set. One of the shows that I had the opportunity to again take it to that next level was in Fiddler on the Roof. A number of complicated set pieces we had to design and build and when we first started I I really didn't have any idea of how he was going to pull these things off, what he had in mind. But as time went on it became obvious that this guy knows what he's doing. That some of the techniques he employed I had never been exposed to. As I always do, I filed them away in my mm-hmm. mind. Everything I know today relative to set building, I've learned from all of these, I'll call them masters. <laughs> Even yourself, in working with you, little things you do that I've, mm-hmm. that I've oh wow, that's neat. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. I file that away and I will use some time in the future if I ever go back to set building. But Tom's approach was very interesting. His attention to detail was phenomenal. <laughs> Whether it's painting or just if he would build a hut, what he would use to simulate the roofing on a hut, whether it was straw or whatever he used, <laughs> it was very it was very amazing. So uh, and then I think the next one we did was Annie and some of the techniques that he used there, again, I had never been exposed to. And so, again, I just filed it away in my mind. Wow. Sounds like you did a lot of set building for a lot of different shows and all. Most of my shows that I've been involved in, I awesome. always built sets. Always. Okay. Whether I had a lead or whether I was in the chorus. Mm-hmm. Again, I believed in the whole thing behind community theater and was convinced that it was a true community effort that whether you had a lead or whether you were just in the chorus, everyone plays a part in the production's success. So one of my skills, as I mentioned, I was handy with tools and I knew how to build. I knew the basics. 
So I did my part. I was on a board of directors for Spotlighters for, I'm going to say, four or five years, maybe even longer. Believe it or not, as I had a second instruction. After Bill Geringer passed and these other guys left, I, I was on the board with Ken Van Dyke. I don't, I don't know if you know the name Ken Van Dyke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ken... He, was, he was on here. He was on the podcast. Oh, really? Yes, he was. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, Ken and Amory Weaver, who Tom's Weaver's wife. Tom is the drama coach over at Cherry Hill East. He's got pretty good rep. He has his pretty solid reputation uh, as a director, as a set builder. Anyway, they were heavily involved with Spotlighters long time ago when I was with them. So back then was when I was on the board of directors. I guess for about like four or five years, and then then they lost the venue over at the high school. Okay. Uh, they had to go somewhere else, and then we kind of drifted apart. I was involved in other theater groups, and then I was on the board of directors for the road company over here for mm-hmm. one year. Again, I was doing most of their set construction and, and appearing in a lot of their productions, and they wanted me on it. They wanted me on the board, but I didn't want to be on the board. <laughs> I didn't want that. You know, I didn't want to deal with the politics of the board. Although I always had a lot to say as far as set construction and as far as the auditioning process and all that. However, they came up with this thing. All right, we have, you know, seven board members, but we want a floating board member that we're going to pull from whether it's the actor's pool, whether it's the set builder's pool, whether it's the choreographer's pool, to sit on the board for a year. They experimented with it that I was their first. So I got involved in every board meeting. I was a, bo- I was a voting member. I got to approve or not approve the upcoming season. I got to go on uh, a couple of uh, seminars with uh, the president at the time, Suzanne Jones, and I, I experienced every aspect of being on the board. I have those board experiences and, and the business end of it and the politics end of it, all of that. So I got exposure to every aspect of community theater, you know, all the politics that dealt with the owners of the venues and, and the town as, as far as cleanup, as far as, you know, the all... Um, as far as advertisements, um, uh, taking care of the catering after, you, you know, like our cast parties, oh, okay. all that stuff. So except for actually working the board, the sound or the lights, you know, I hung lights, I ran wire, I helped out. Mm-hmm. But I never learned actually how to program the boards. I've mixed music with my son's band, but never a production. I never hooked up body mics to people. Mm-hmm. You know, I helped put tape and stuff like that, but I never was responsible for the transmitter or the receiver units. Never had to deal with that. I had to deal with battery packs on my own, <laughs> but. I never had to go buy them. I never had to service them. You know, I never had to solder a bad connection, that kind of stuff. But I was exposed to all that. I was there. I yeah. saw it. You know, I sat. I watched. But I never did it. I never actually, you know, learned the theory behind lighting. Okay. I kind of had an idea, but I never 
really learned it. But everything else I was exposed to, you know, I was like, I was never a stage manager, but I helped out like as an assistant stage manager uh, for a production or two, but I never was responsible. I never had to, you know, sit on any meetings or deal with scheduling or any of that stuff, uh, or, or I was never responsible for scene changes, although I was involved in scene changes. I've, I've covered quite a ground in 25 years. Every Everybody's the same. I got your good people and your bad people. And all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Great. Wonderful. What other jobs have you also done within community theater? Have you done anything else, or...? Uh, actually, no. I've 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 never directed. I've never produced or stage managed or did lights or sound. The opportunities really never came up. I was either acting or building sets. There were productions where I just built sets, mainly for spotlighters. Okay. Uh, I was involved in other productions. Or I wasn't interested in going out for any role in a production in that particular production. So Ken Van Dyke or Dana Vanneman at the time, who was on the board, had asked me to help them out, help with set construction. So I would. But if I was in a production, I was I was working on the set, whether I was in charge of building the set or I was just helping out. I was there. I was there on Saturday, Sundays, after rehearsal, before rehearsal, sometimes <laughs> during rehearsal. <laughs> I could remember working with Tom and Annie. I had the role of Daddy Warbucks. And it was the first or second production over at the Performing Arts Center in Washington Township. So in building sets, we weren't able to build on stage. We had to build off-site and haul everything so we only had access the Saturday before Tech Week which happens at times in community theater so it was a rush that weekend before Tech Week to get up as much as we can and if anybody knows the set of Annie there's this huge (laughs) two-story set of stairs which you have to make sturdy. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Saturday, that's the first thing that I concentrated on, Tom and I concentrated on. As it ended up, my scenes were also being rehearsed that day. <laughs> we were so pinched for time that we were having rehearsals the same time we were building sets. So we would build sets towards the back, and we were rehearsing towards the front of the stage towards the orchestra pit. So I'd literally be assembling walls and I'd get a call, okay, Daddy Warbucks, you're seeing. So I had to hand the screw gun (laughs) to someone else while I went and rehearsed my scenes. Soon as I was done, I would go back, grab the screw gun and continue. (laughs) That's the fun of community theater. That's the fun of community theater. So I guess that particular situation, I was quite busy. And I would say that that's perhaps one of two or three times when I was so involved in the acting part of it, as well as the set construction. 
that you're literally you don't you don't have time to rest. <laughs> you know, your mind is going back and forth between going over your lines, if you have any choreography, you're off to the side and then okay, I have to set that aside and get back to the set. But during all of it, it's exciting, it's a lot of fun and it's the true meaning of community theater. Wow. Wow. So that's where you learned a lot about sets. How did you pick up and learn about acting or singing for that matter? Well, singing's a long story. I was singing and performing in a way since I, I guess, was five, six years old. I play an accordion. So while taking accordion lessons, I would also take singing lessons. I would have taken dance lessons, but back at the time in Philly, (laughs) uh, in in the neighborhood that I grew up, boys Mm. didn't take dance lessons. So to my disappointment, my dad would only okay for me to take my accordion lessons and singing lessons. So I would perform as this six and seven year old accordion player who also could sing. So as I got older, I joined a band. I guess I was seven or eight, no, 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 seventh or eighth grade. I joined a band playing an accordion, and the Beatles had just come out at the time. So I was singing and playing my accordion in this band. I would, through my voice teacher, perform at USO shows down in Philadelphia. I had opportunities to to sing at other charitable events. So I always sang. So I never sang in high school, you know, through any high school performances. Mm-hmm. My band days were over during my teenage years. For whatever reason, I got into other things. But as an adult, I always sang at home. My favorite vocalist was always Sinatra. And so I would always sing his songs. I got hold of backing tracks and I would practice singing to his vocal tracks and not until I had the chance to join Spotlighter's choral season did I get serious about it so to speak you know I would just sing for my own pleasure and my wife was the only one who would (laughs) hear me as well as my two kids Joe and Nicole but the public never really heard me sing My mom heard me sing, my sister and brother would hear me sing, but uh, the public never had that opportunity until I joined the choral group. And then you got the choir director to get you to join the whole group and sing on out. (laughs) Yes, um, I believe believe at the time the choral director was Vince Gentless, I believe. I think it was at the time. And I, I had never sung in a choral group before, so... Being a musician, I knew harmony, and I I knew how to read music, so learning choral parts came easy. Being a baritone, I never really got to sing uh, uh, the the, the melody lines, and so I guess my skill sets of singing harmony um, improved over over time, because that's essentially what I got to sing, was the baritone part, occasionally a tenor, but I was still working on my vocal range. I had gone back for vocal lessons for a short time because of the opportunities to audition for tenor parts. Uh-huh. And so I 
for whatever reason, I wasn't cast in leads that required tenor parts. And, you know, I understand the whole thing behind community theater and auditioning and being offered roles. So I thought, well, if I'm going to have a chance at getting any of these lead roles that had that required a tenor range, I need some help. So I uh, worked with this vocal coach who um, allowed me to, or, or resulted in me being able to increase my upper range. And I was able to support my voice a lot better than I had been up until that point. And so um, whether or not it had resulted in me landing any of the tenor parts, I was able to handle uh, the tenor parts of the the, the, uh, songs. So I wasn't just relegated to the bass part. I was able to handle the uh, tenor parts of songs. So by the sound of that, you probably did a lot of musicals. Most of my early work was all musicals. (laughs) And whether it was, and I'm referring to my uh, resume uh, here, sometimes I don't remember them all, you know, Brigadoon, Kiss Me Kate, Guys and Dolls, Showboat, all of the major ones in looking at my resume, it seems like I've done. And so in actually doing predominantly musicals, I developed an appreciation for them. Up until then, I wasn't exactly a fan of Broadway. Mm-hmm. I had attended some shows. I knew it existed, uh, but I was never really into it until I became an actor in community theater and I was in these productions. Then I acquired an appreciation mm-hmm. for them. So my favorite part in being involved in a production was always learning the musical parts. Being a vocalist and loving music to begin with, I really appreciated the amount of work that went into creating the right sound. I've always been a perfectionist (laughs) in everything I do. And when it came to music, I was always self-critical, whether it was playing an accordion, or just in my own voice. I wanted it to be the best. And so I would work that much harder when it came to perfecting the sound that I knew that the vocal director wanted to achieve. And I carried that to when I won a lead role and I had solos. So my, you know, the perfectionist in me would not allow me to go out on stage unless it was the best I could be. So there was always a lot of angst. I I was not so much worried about my acting chops or my ability to dance. Like most actors who could sing, they always wanted their voice to be as best as it could be. And particularly for auditions, mm-hmm. you needed to nail the auditions. If your voice was so-so, there was always others out there that were always at the top of their game, and they're going to get the role. So you had to bring your best game. Your voice had to be as best as it can be. You know, vocal health, overall health had to be as best as it could be for when you go for auditions, because that was... That was your one and only shot. Yep. Okay. Well, this makes me think of a couple couple things. Now, with 
all these shows, is there any particular role that was the most fun to perform? I would have to say, until recently, one of my most fun roles was Guys and Dolls. I had the opportunity to play Nathan Detroit. Mm, And I got a chance to perform him twice. I believe it was twice. No, actually, yes, yes, it was twice. Uh, First time with The Road Company in Williamstown, and second time with Spotlighters. And probably because Frank Sinatra had played that role (laughs) in the movie, there was that special connection there. And so that role had special meaning for me. I put a lot into that role, both times that I had done it. So again, up until most recently, that role I had the most fun with. Another role that I really enjoyed doing, believe it or not, was the Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. Uh And I had done that a long time ago. And I had done that role twice as well. It was an awful lot of fun. (laughs) You got to be something, you know, you got to be something that... um, when I was told to let loose and be over the top, of course, you go by the movie, right? right? And I tried to replicate the actor's portrayal of the scarecrow as much as I can in in all of the mannerisms, in all of the pratfalls. You know, you had to be super limber and everything, being careful not to hurt yourself. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time... You had to sell the character. And so I had an awful lot of fun with that role as well. I say until recently, I had qualified that because <laughs> most recently, as a matter of fact, this past season, I had a chance to do a character called Adolfo in The Drowsy Chaperone. <laughs> I had never heard of The Drowsy Chaperone before, and particularly that character. <laughs> And I had the privilege of performing it for the Village Play Box. And when I was asked to audition, I I believe I was asked to audition, I think, uh, because I had performed at the Village Play Box previously. I had done rumors, and I was told that they're doing Drowsy Chaperone, and I was asked, you know, well, why don't you come out for it? You know, Mm -hmm. know, there's a fairly large cast, and you'll have fun. So I did some research. I went online, I went on YouTube, and there's all kinds of productions on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And there is the Broadway version on YouTube as well. So I watched the production, and the role that stood out was the role of Adolfo. (laughs) This character was so over the top (laughs) that I said to myself, that's the role I want to audition for. That's it. (laughs) But at the same time... I was also interested in the narrator. Okay. The narrator appealed to me. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Adolfo. (laughs) The narrator would have been fun and challenging, and you're out there all the time. And there's so many lines to memorize. But I felt there was so much I can do. But something was telling me that I would enjoy that role of Adolfo. Much more. And as it ended up, I didn't get the role of the narrator, and I did get the role of Adolfo, and I'm glad I did because I had so much fun with that role. It was so over the top, and I had so much fun that if I ever had an opportunity to do it again, 
I most likely will jump at it because although I did enjoy Guys and Dolls, Nathan <laughs> Detroit and the Scarecrow, I was able to relax and enjoy the role. I enjoyed rehearsals. I enjoyed production. I didn't want it to end. <laughs> and with each performance, I tried to up my game. I was always trying to outdo my my previous performance, not change anything, just enhance the character so that I could bring more of it to the audience, so, to enjoy, so mm-hmm. that the audience could enjoy the character more, uh, so that the audience can enjoy the, the character as much as I had been enjoying the character. And I hope that I achieved that. Nice. Very nice. Wonderful. So between those, or maybe a different one, would any of those, would you say, made you feel like a star? <laughs> Perhaps. I, um, a number of those, whether it was a lead or a supporting role, I try to enjoy each role. Some roles were more satisfying than others. Some roles, the director allowed me to do what I want, to embellish the character, to be as over the top as I wanted to be. And then they would dial me back if they felt it was too much. So there were certain roles, again, it didn't necessarily have to be a lead, that I really got a lot out of that made me feel good as an actor, that I was satisfied, and that through audience reaction that they liked what I did that they appreciated what I did. And whether you can term that as feeling like a star, if that's, you know, my whole effort, we're all we're all in community theater because we like to perform. Mm-hmm. You know, we all get self-satisfaction. I like seeing the reaction of the audience to the character that you've just portrayed. Were you convincing? Or were you Joe Zakowski performing the role of Nathan Detroit? Or, or were you Nathan Detroit mm-hmm. to the audience? That was my goal in every character that I portrayed. So in the case of Adolfo, is it the character of Adolfo that they fell in love with? Or was it Joe Zakowski being Adolfo? There were, I don't know how many people who saw the show said to me, I didn't know that that was you. Mm-hmm. Because I had a wig or a hairpiece. I had a heavy makeup. The, the costumes were, were so over the top. <laughs> because Adolfo had a number of costume changes. And even there's an Asian scene <laughs> at the beginning of Act 2 where he has his wig and his makeup, but he also has an Asian costume <laughs> and has Asian makeup and and uh, like a Fu Manchu and things like that. And I had to mimic the facial expression of an Asian. So there were many audience members and even those that I had sent the clip of it to (laughs) that they came back and said, I would never have guessed it was you. So when people are reacting to the Adolfo character and not to me, and they tell me that they thoroughly enjoyed it and it was their favorite character in the show, <laughs> that meant the world to me. It didn't necessarily feel like a star, mm-hmm. but it was the satisfaction that it wasn't me in that role 
that they were enjoying. It was some actor performing the role of Adolfo that they walked away with saying, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, with, with all that, because we're talking about you know getting the reaction from the audience, is there any particular part that you wish more people had seen, more people had come out to have seen it? Maybe you had, a, for some reason, a small turnout for that show or something. Most of my productions were seen by friends and relatives, a few from the people that I work with. So those who I wanted to come and see, they have, for the most part. However, the most recent thing that I have done, which was actually last week, the yep. one act, I was in two relatively short one-act productions, I guess about 10, 15 minutes each. They were written and directed by the same person, Joe DeWine, I believe his last name is, brilliantly written. Mm -hmm. The other actors and myself, we worked so hard on these two short one acts. Sometimes three times a week, we were rehearsing, we were meeting dissecting line by line to make sure that we brought the writer's vision to reality. We worked so hard on these, and it was disappointing that they weren't viewed by more people than they were. And so uh, this would be one of the productions that I would say qualifies for that, that I... that. Despite the fact that I was in it and I enjoyed the roles and we worked hard, I think it was a damn good production. Mm -hmm. And it was a re the, the two one acts were extremely well written. Joe is a very talented playwright. And I just wish more people had experienced his writing as well as our work. But I think you're going to be hearing more from Joe. But I just, I just wish more people had seen the production because they, they missed out. Well, with any luck, I know there's talk of doing the one acts again next year. And if Joseph wants to come out, we're pretty sure we'll put on his shows again. So, and I will be out there auditioning <laughs> as well. Now, with all that, is there any role that is most like you? <laughs> you didn't have to put on a whole facade and all the makeup. It's like, that's Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 kind of hard to say. I'm I'm looking I'm looking over my resume here j just to refresh my memory. <laughs> I would say, uh, it, it, you know, this, this is probably a cop out, but I would say that in a lot of my roles, there was a little bit of me mm -hmm. in every character, or that I brought a little of me and injected into the character, tried to keep the essence of the character, but brought some Joe Zakowski into it. Uh, but, but whether it was uh, the, Lieutenant, the Lieutenant Jack Ross character in A Few Good Men, or Dr. Einstein in Arsenic <laughs> and Old Lace, um, each of those roles were, were memorable to me. And not that there is, you know, Joe Zukowski and Dr. <laughs> Einstein, but there was always something about each of those characters that interested me, something that I was able to relate to that attracted me to the role. Or I saw an opportunity to be me, but just on a much grander <laughs> scale. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But... but uh, 
Well, with all that, is there any particular role or part that, should we say, kicked your butt? It's hard to hmm. put on. Well, yes. One stands out in my mind, and that was the role of Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Really? I say that because you're on stage almost the entire time. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of lines. The scene towards the end where he finally wakes up. (laughs) It's very challenging. You're on the bed, you're jumping around, and you're, you know, you do a complete 180 in your character. And it was, it was actually physically demanding to be that character and mentally draining to memorize the lines because being a perfectionist, (laughs) I wanted to nail it. I wanted to be the character. And I watched all kinds of, I do a lot of research in my roles, good or bad. (laughs) I watch the movies. I, I watch live productions if they're on YouTube or wherever Mm -hmm. I can source it from. I've even gone up to New York to the library in New York and watch the original tapings of Broadway shows. So I wanted to capture the essence of Scrooge as best I can. And so I, I, re- I really dived into that character. So it was physically mm-hmm. and mentally draining when I was finished. Okay, yeah. I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. And the dedication that you even put into it with all that. Now, is there any particular show or part that would be your dream part? Something you always wanted to do, or have you done it? People have asked me that from time to time, and I've really never given it much thought. There were, one would think that it would be the usual roles, you know, Jean Valjean in in (laughs) Les Mis, or... The Phantom and The Phantom, things like that. And probably from a vocal standpoint, I would probably say yes, but I've grown to be more fond of non-musicals. Although musicals comprise the bulk of my experience over the years, particularly the first 15 or 20 years of my community theater involvement, past five or ten have been straight plays, in particular comedies. And I've grown to enjoy them more. I think my strength, it's been pointed out to me, but but I admit that it's probably true, that my strength is in comedy. And, you know, and in general, my acting is my strong suit. Okay. And I, I can... Since I don't have to worry about my voice, rough to singing, and and I'm critical about how I sound. With a straight play or a comedic role, that doesn't factor into it. (laughs) So I can relax a little more and concentrate on memorizing my lines or developing my character so I don't have to worry about the vocal end of it relative to singing. I can concentrate on acting and characterization. And so I enjoy those roles more. And so I've grown to, or, or I've, I've been migrating towards auditioning, towards 
dramas or comedies now mm-hmm. and less and less towards mm-hmm. musicals. So whether there's a, a dream comedic or dramatic role, I would probably have to give it a little more thought. Probably something along the Neil Simon role. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think one time I auditioned at Haddonfield for, it was the Willie Loman character, um, and I think in Death of a Salesman, I, I would have liked to have seen how, you know, what I would have done with that. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there are other roles, comedy-wise, uh, that that I had opportunities and I never took advantage. I'm hoping that future-wise, that something does come along, mm-hmm. that uh, in in which I'm available, that I would feel that I have a shot at. And, and, you know, so perhaps the dream role is yet to come. Okay. And okay. it hasn't been written yet. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, Joe DeWan will write, a, <laughs> will write something that will really pique my interest and uh, it would end up being my dream role. Wow. Okay. Now, with all of that and your love for all these different shows, this is always difficult for many people, but I tend to ask it. And it's always interesting to see a reaction is to is there a part or show that you would never want to do? Never want to do. You know, say, hey, you should do that. And you're like, nope, nope, that's not for me. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think I'd ever rule out any role, even if it is totally not me. Because I I approach roles as a challenge. Sure, the role has to the role has to be not Joe Zakowski for it to qualify. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and given the roles that I had the privilege of performing and personally feeling satisfied with how it turned out, I don't know of any role off the top of my head that I would say I would never do. I don't know of any role that you know people would say that that they couldn't see me in or that it's it's totally not me and (laughs) so no at 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 this point um i i would consider any anything okay as long as it's a challenge and it seems like it will be fun and um sure i consider it okay now of course you've done plenty of shows i can see from your resume there now out of all that is there possibly one particular moment that happened that was the most memorable (laughs) i know it's sometimes tough um, because each show sometimes some particular event happens or something unique happens and along with that might have there been a worst experience it's like everything went wrong (laughs) <laughs> I'll let go with that one first. The worst experience that has always stuck in my head was, I believe it was the pajama game, I think. Uh, I was performing it with Spotlighters, and I had the lead. The, the actress that I was acting opposite of, actually there were, there were two situations in the same play. Not so much the same night, but the same play. They involved 
delivering the wrong lines in the wrong scene. There were two scenes in particular where the set was the same, the lines were very similar, and I delivered the wrong line in the wrong scene, and mm. I ended the scene prematurely, walked off the stage. The scene wasn't finished. Oh. <laughs> I, left a, I left one of the actors on stage, and the director you know, called back to the stage manager, they had to close the curtains, the lights came down, mm -hmm. We regrouped and we, you know, the show went on. Same show, but a different night. I um, walked off stage from a scene and forgot that I was supposed to go back on as soon as the lights came up. Instead, I went back to my dressing room, started getting dressed for what I thought was the next scene. So the clothes came off, the mic came off, and... Next thing you know, someone came running back. Hey, Joe, you're supposed to be on stage. <laughs> on stage for what? Is what I said. So the person told me, oh, yeah, blankety blank. So I had to gather myself. What scene is this? What am I supposed to be wearing? I'm looking at a display of all my costumes, trying to decide what am I supposed to be wearing? So I quickly threw the mic back because I had a body mic. Quickly threw it back on because um, I had taken it off. Grabbed the clothes. I'm half dressed, running down <laughs> the hallway. The person was standing on stage, killing time. <laughs> and I even I didn't even have time to go on from the correct side of the stage. So I went on stage made up something off the top of my head as an excuse as to why I'm late, and then we continued the scene. So two embarrassing moments, same play, and I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as what moment stands out in my mind is the most enjoyable, geez, that's hard to say. You know, each show in which I really enjoyed the character, th th there was usually a moment or two that I really enjoyed the most. Whether whether it was Nathan Detroit and Guys and Dolls in the crapshoot scene where they're <laughs> singing to you or about you, or whether it was being on stage as Daddy Warbucks with Annie and the, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the, the song that I have there or a few good men. Um, when I was a prosecuting attorney, I, I had the uh, Kevin Bacon part as a prosecuting <laughs> attorney and a few good men. And as I was cross-examining a, a couple of the witnesses, there was one scene, uh, the courtroom scene uh, that I felt like a lawyer. Oh, okay. You know, I was so into okay. the role. I wanted to nail Kevin Bacon's part. There was one particular moment where there was this exchange with myself and the defense attorney that I that I really felt, man, we nailed that scene. <laughs> we really did. Felt great about it. So, you know, that that stands out in my mind, but there were others. Well, we were talking about, you were just talking about uh, some of the costume changes and all that. Made me wonder, is there any particular costume that you really love to wear? <laughs> well, Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz, uh, you know, kind of yeah. come, uh, sort of jumps into my head. And, um, geez, what else? Uh, 
most recently, the character of Adolfo. <laughs> I had to beg, borrow, and steal from a number of community <laughs> theater groups for that one. Uh, there were at least three different costumes that I had to come up with, all pieced together. And together with makeup, uh, I looked totally <laughs> different in all three. And um, I really, I really got a kick out of the costuming for that for that character. Well, one thing just came to mind. You were talking about like the Kevin Bacon role or some of the other ones that you've. Uh, looked into and studied is there anyone that you should we say made it your own you didn't want to be exactly like that but you wanted to really nail the part but not be kevin bacon or any other people from from the movies or from the broadway shows hmm that's that's a tough one because i usually start out familiarizing myself with the role as done professionally. Again, whether that's good or bad, that was always my initial reference. Mm -hmm. From there, I usually research other actors performing the role because I didn't necessarily want to replicate as it was done on Broadway. I never wanted to do that mainly because I just didn't want to do it the way such and such person did it. I always did want to make the role my own, but I needed some frame of reference. And like I did when I was learning set building and stealing different techniques from (laughs) various set builders, like I'm sure some other actors do, I would steal some characterizations of the particular role from other actors. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I like how that person did this. Mm -hmm. I like how that person did that. Informing how I wanted to do the character. So I would always start off and use that as a base and then take what I liked. Whether any of my roles were predominantly me is <laughs> kind of hard to say. The feedback that I would get from those who know me would tell me uh, that they saw a lot of me in certain roles. Okay. Okay. Having known my mannerisms and and how you know and all my little idiosyncrasies they could see oh i could see a little joe zakowski in adolfo <laughs> which could be good and bad but but that would tell me you know that that i bring some of myself into the character whether it's consciously or subconsciously it would happen so I don't think I go into a role wanting to inject a little bit of me into it, but it happens. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from it. Okay. And those who know you see it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Definitely. Now, we talked about, of course, a lot of the singing and the acting and even the, the set building. Now, however, is there any other job within community theater that you'd like to try that you haven't done? Yes. And I have been asked many times, how come you don't direct? (laughs) I've never had an interest in directing. I'm not totally sure why. (laughs) But it never really interested me. I would have liked to have done sound. I would have 
like to have learned lights, although, you know, it, it's, it's, it probably would have been something that I would just have want to learn and just done a few times because I like the performing aspect of theater. But I would have liked to have learned it. I would have liked to have learned how to do uh, do sound as well. Well, it's always still possible, isn't it? Uh, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You're singing like, I can't do it, I can't do it. I think you could do it, you know? Well, the advantage being, you know, in that I've been doing theater all this time that I kind of have an idea of what's uh, of the mechanics involved, but from an artistic standpoint, that's what that's when I probably need to learn off. You know, someone who's been doing it, and they, yeah, just like with set building, teach you the techniques, techniques. what yeah. to look for, things like that, the technical end of it before you start applying. I've I've helped out on the production and spotlighters occasionally. Directing, though, which a lot of actors sort of migrate to, <laughs> I don't know. It was never anything that I was interested in or wanted to do. I, I kind of lean more towards the performing and rather than having a vision of, of how I would like my production to become. I've been more of a details-oriented, focused-type person on one thing. I can see the big picture, but I usually focus my energies on one or a few tasks rather than trying to be responsible for the development of all of the characters and whether it would be something that is my own vision of the production and the characters, or, well, I just want to replicate how people expect it to become. I do work well with others, but I don't know if I would get anything out of working with actors from a standpoint of helping them to develop their characters in what would be my idea of the characters. I'm, I'm probably more of a purist when it comes to theater. Just like I bring it into my own characterizations, I would probably lean towards... Like, if I was to do any of the shows that I've been in, I'd probably want to do it the way that most people expect it to be done. And so, to me, it's... The amount of work involved would just be, okay, here's your lines. No, you're not delivering it the way such and such person has been portraying it. So, all right, my job is to help you to achieve that. And there will be less and less, and less originality of ideas or, or putting my own personal slant on the character or the production it would be at odds with my purist mentality okay. that that I would never be satisfied. So I, I never wanted to go there. I, I never wanted to put myself in a position to even try it. I've been asked occasionally, but I've always, you know, not, deferred and not, not interested. I'll 
I'll audition, you know, for whatever role that interests me, but I'm not interested in directing. Maybe someday, but yep. no, not now. Okay. All righty. Now, here's one question I always think is I like to ask, especially from actors, people who've been in shows and everything before for quite a while. Because it's not just actors that listen to this, but what might be one part of community theater that the general public might not know about? Hmm. People that come out and watch the shows that they don't realize happens within community theater. Having worked with a number of theater groups, there's a common thread in all of them. Uh, They're all all fledgling. The reason it's called community theater is that it it takes a community of people involved to pull off the production. And I don't know whether the general community, you know, non-theater people really can appreciate the amount of work it goes into putting on a production from every from every aspect, whether you're one of the actors and learning your lines, whether you're a choreographer that has to teach, in some cases, some difficult dance numbers to people who have two left feet, (laughs) you know, people that aren't dancers. Remember, we're talking community theater, Mm -hmm. not regional theater or Broadway. So most people in community theater can't dance and some can't sing, (laughs) some can't act, but they're there because for whatever reason, uh, they they like the feeling, uh, they like the community feeling of it. They can sing. That's why... They're involved. They, they want to get that out of it, the, the, the singing part of it, less the acting. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that's why a lot of people just want to you know, just put me in a chorus. But there are so many aspects that take a lot of work, whether it's the director, producer, the choreographer, the set builder, the sound designer, the, the person designing and running lights the person handling the marketing, and then you have to secure a venue if you don't have your own theater, and dealing with the owners of the venue, and you know, reaching out to the community to support. A lot of people feel that community theater ends at the door of the theater. Well, no. <laughs> you, in order for a community theater to function, to you know, to keep the doors open, to pay the rent if you're renting a facility, or, or, or even just paying for the rights to put on the production, you have to put bodies in your seats. So you have to reach out to the community. It's not enough for your friends and relatives to come and see your shows. They alone are not going to do it. So you need to reach out to the community. You need you need to reach out to those who may not know you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as if you get to hang out a shingle on a storefront and then people show up the night of a show. You have to reach out. You have to let them know you exist. You have to get them to spend their entertainment dollars to see your productions. So many dollars to go around these days. So you have to put yourself out there as a theater group. Like, I have friends of mine in work that aren't necessarily theater goers, but they come to my show. 
and they hear me talking about it during rehearsals. <laughs> Can't go for for bike ride this Saturday because I have to go build sets. You know, well, well, why do you got to do that? So the more I talk about what I do to friends that aren't in theater, the more they realize, wow, I never knew there was so much involved in putting on a show. Well, yes, th- there <laughs> is. So I think it's that it takes so many people, so many dedicated people to each do their part to make a production or, or to put on a production and and to allow a theater group to continue functioning. One of the things that I've Notice and enjoyed is I get to meet a lot of new people in community theater. It isn't just the same old people. It can't be just the same old people. You can't be asking the same people to do the same jobs all the time. And besides, the the paying public wants to see new artists. They want to see fresh faces. They don't want to say this. They they don't want to see the same people performing different roles all the time. And I get that. And so you have to entice new people to come in and audition. They, in turn, bring their friends and family and other theater people to see their shows. So the more successful community theater groups are constantly turning over actors and actresses. And it's a good thing. Yeah. You have some alumni that stick around or occasionally come back, but it's healthy if a theater group continually turns over the actors. Because with actors, few of them also get involved in the production end of it. So whether they want to now be stage manager to help out on the next production, or they have an aptitude, like myself, to help in some set construction, or, hey, I've done lights at this other theater. If you need me, I'm available. So it doesn't seem like the same person who has done it all the time for the theater group, they can get a break every once in a while, or even for a night or two. Or you see an opportunity to pass the baton. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So getting back to your original <laughs> question, I, I, don't, I don't think the public is really aware of all the little idiosyncrasies that occur in the life of community theater. Well, that leads into how I usually end this, which is, what would you say to anyone interested in joining community theater? I would say, just come out. I would say, put away all of your, your hesitations, any of your fears, and just come out and audition you'll find that there are a lot of people that are probably in the same boat as you if you're the person who's a little hesitant, you're shy, you're not sure you want to do this, you're not sure if you're going to like it, you're not sure if you'll be accepted. For whatever your fears are, just throw them aside and come out. Just come out and audition. There's always room for people in the chorus relative to the larger musicals, which is how I got started. So always room for people in the chorus. If you're the type of person who's a little uncomfortable and yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be in the chorus, that, that's fine. Until so you build up your confidence and you meet people and you, all right, now I think I'd like to try out for a specific role. That's very common in musical theater. And so I would encourage anyone who who feels a need to perform or 
not necessarily perform. They they want to be involved in some kind of community effort. They like being with people. They like working with other people. They like to see something that you work on as a group coming to fruition, you know, <laughs> a production, and it's mm-hmm. a successful production. And because you will meet a lot of people, you'll meet a lot of interesting people. Most of the people, or if, if not all, that I've met 25 years ago when I started doing this, I'm still friends with today, mm-hmm. close friends. Some, unfortunately, have passed away, God rest their souls, but... Most of them I'm still very close with. I still perform with. So you'll meet people from all different kinds of walks of life. You'll meet lawyers. You'll meet accountants. You'll meet doctors, believe it or not. You'll meet policemen. You'll <laughs> People from all walks of life who have the same passion as you, whether it's singing, whether it's acting, whether it's dancing, and you want to get on stage and dance. So I encourage anyone and everyone to come out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you don't necessarily have to come out for a role, you know, just come out for the sheer enjoyment of meeting people, of being with people, of working with people, having fun. One of the things most community theater groups do is after rehearsal or and definitely after one of our shows, we go out afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, we go out for a drink, we go out for a bite to eat, just to socialize. It's part of the scene. <laughs> it's all part of it. And you get to celebrate. You get to celebrate what you've all just been through. <laughs> and it helps to solidify your friendships because you all found what you have in common. And it's a great feeling and a feeling that I've enjoyed for 25 years. Wonderful. It's great to hear all about that. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. So I'm your host, Gary Kochi, and I'd like to thank Joe Zakowski for joining me here today. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to Community Theatre Studio Podcast. Now, if you or someone you know might have something interesting for us to hear about on this podcast, please let me know uh, their contact information. Or if you have any comments, questions, or requests, you can contact us on Facebook as Community Theatre Studio on our website communitytheaterstudio.podbean.com You can even email us at communitytheaterstudio at gmail.com You can even leave reviews on iTunes Uh, You can send a text or voice message to 609-388-8287 Now this podcast is currently being supported by the Village Playbox Theatre of Patton Heights, New Jersey The music is titled Energy and is provided by royalty-free music from Ben Sound. So please join me again next week when we once again talk to people of the community theater. 